Welcome back to another episode of Offerant Innovations. Welcome to our last episode of Pride Month for this year. Today, what we have for you is a group of us here at ABA Technologies um, who have done research in the realm of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and specifically um, in the LGBTQ plus community. So we want to talk about our experiences and our projects and things like that. So uh, with us today, we have Kelsey McCafferty, Abby Petronelli, and Ari Lipton. Abby, do you want to kind of get us going and tell us about your experiences doing research in this area? Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about the two that I currently have. I won't go into too much detail because you can read about them. <laughs> They're currently published. Um, but the, the two big ones that are live and out there are uh, the Petronelli and Ferguson. I don't, I'm, it was, which was my thesis that involved using self-monitoring to increase, uh, to increase trans inclusive behaviors. And then um, Conine, uh, Compo and Petronelli. Um, which is in Java, which was a call to action within behavior analysis to address topics of LGBTQ plus nature, which would include its history, um, which we reviewed in, in some detail in the first episode. So if you haven't heard that, go go take a listen to that. Um, <clears throat> so both of those I was conducting slash writing slash researching for pretty much in the same time period. So I can't really isolate them too too much because oftentimes as I was reading up for one thing it informed the other thing um but the TGNC study was an experiment and was my thesis versus the Conan et al paper was just collaboration from people who you know we have very similar interest and passion within this area and thought it was important to to talk about a little bit more because we didn't see a lot with it um but I would say for my experiences just overall with that, and I know we're going to get into later, think recommendations, barriers in, in more detail, but just to keep it broad for now. Um, overall, I had a pretty good experience uh, with both of those, uh, especially going in as a, as a uh, student, as a you know, newly grad student. I had already gone in with the intention of doing something Within, within DEI, uh, specifically like within LGBTQ plus topics, was an interest I've always had, even before I was in the field of behavior analysis. I had wanted to do other things, um, but tripped and fell, and here I am now. Um, but I knew going in that it, it was going to be a sell because at that point really was, was nothing, um, especially recently, and certainly nothing experimental within, within that period. Um, so I knew I had quite the pitch. Um, so at the grad student level for that, um, I it was in what I would, you know, I know we're going to get recommendations, but um, I went in with some ideas just to show that, hey, I'm thinking about this. I'm not just going in being like, I want to do this. And then somebody asks what ideas I have. And I go, well, oh. because um, that's a harder pitch than, hey, I want to do this. I have some ideas. You know, I know they're not fully fleshed out. They're not fully polished, but at least I'm thinking about ways that you can capture these behaviors um, or capture a specific behavior. Um, and so luckily that um, lend itself well to getting some buy-in from some people. I, I reached out to a few professors at my program um, and managed to, to find one uh, that was willing to work with me. And it you know, was a lot of creativity in talking about what we wanted our target to be, which of course ended up being uh, proper pronoun use, which I mean, for a behavior analytic target that's something observable and measurable pretty pretty great pretty great great target especially for something like a thesis where you're on kind of a time crunch you know with casual other research there's not as much of that like oh we have to get it done but you know for a thesis to graduate <laughs> you got you got it you got about a year year and a half maybe um you got to get it done um so that ended up being working out but there was certainly a lot of brainstorming and talking and thinking about the design and how to capture that in a way um, in more of an experimental life, something that was realistic and doable for a set time frame. Um, so as far as that goes, I would say it, was, it went pretty well. Again, a lot of creativity, but it ended up it ended up working, which is good for graduation and good for data, obviously. Um, 
but again, as I had mentioned at the same time, I was also working with Dr. Daniel Conine and uh, Sarah Campo on on the in the um, call to action paper. I'm covering a lot of similar things, and I would also say that went and goes pretty well, considering that that is a group we are still working together on future things with. Um, and I think, you know, it, it was a helpful place to find a community with people who were thinking about it in kind of a similar way, because as, you know, on the thesis side of things, proposing this as like a graduate study, there were some, you know, were like, I had to, I had to essentially like teach certain terms and like how to do things, which is fine because I don't, I don't always expect people to know everything. I certainly don't know everything, um, which is something that I think if you do research in this area and DEI, LGBTQ+, other or otherwise, you might have, you may run into people who are like, I'm interested in helping you out, but I, I still need some clarity on things. And that's fine. Um, just that might be something you may need to be prepared for, for, um, and that's okay, especially if, if you know, being that uh, my advisor was very receptive was is also, you know, a very key point there. Um, but it was also good for, you know, the other side of things of working on that call to action discussion paper to have like that had like shared experience of shared interest and like shared knowledge. Um, so I would say overall, you know, the combined effect of, you know, doing them kind of at the same time. Um, you know, a lot, lot of reading of the, <laughs> of the same things, a lot of a lot of stuff, but I would say it was overall a good experience um, from from my end. But Kelsey, I know you went on and did a bit of an extension. Um, do you want to go ahead and talk about your experiences there and your other research experiences in this topic? I can. I actually, I had a thing. I think a pretty similar experience to yours, Abby. I. I started my first DI related study in undergrad as my thesis at the time. And it was really looking at the care and the relationship that people were having with their physicians, in particular women identifying people, people with chronic pain and sexual health disorders and traditionally marginalized communities. And my experience getting that study started with a little bit of a struggle bus. It was hard initially to gain buy-in. Um, because it's, it was a study that was very important to me and very near and dear to me because of my experiences. But when you are trying to argue the point of it to people who don't share those experiences, I found that to be a lot more difficult to say, no, this really is important. We really need to be looking at this. And, you know, it took for many, many reasons longer than I wanted it to with this study. And it really took my advisor who just supported the idea and, you know, kind of helped me bring the study back to its bases because it had been pulled in so many different directions from people who wanted to take it in many different ways that weren't the core of the study. So I think that was my largest issue with that one. But honestly, the follow-up study that I did to yours, Abby, that was an amazing experience and truthfully, I had I have to credit you for that because I think you really ended up being the support and the community that I needed to actually get through that study because um, you'd already set up the relationships and you'd already helped me with it in the beginning and really sat there and trained me on every single thing that you possibly could have. So I walked into that study feeling prepared and supportive um, and it just, it was awesome. And it just made my experience so much better. And it made me a lot more comfortable coming into DEI research because my first experience had been more difficult. This one was just amazing. And I, I truly loved every second of this study. And I don't think I would have had I not had the community that I did. And since then, I've done uh, another study that we've been working on for a while, which has been a little bit more of an uphill battle on that one. But I think that's kind of how it goes sometimes. And you just got to really find what you love and what's really important to you to make these difficult points a little bit easier. But that was my experience. Ari, you want to talk a little bit about yours? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I love how you talk about really taking the time to kind of find what you're passionate about along the way. I know for research in general, for me, I first started doing research in my undergrad. And really, I would help out with just kind of random projects that were around wherever I could in my major at the time. And that was neuroscience. But 
I really felt disconnected from the overall big picture planning. It was kind of like, what can I do? What little things can I grab at? Um, but I was really lacking, I think, some of that passion about what I was doing and being so far removed from, you know, what uh, is the overall kind of action plan and what steps are we going to take? It felt, I guess, a little bit disempowering. And once I got to grad school, I had a GSA position and I was so excited and honestly just surprised by how much initiative you were able to take and kind of expected to take and the free reign there as far as putting out research ideas and, you know, getting opportunities in that way. And it was really overwhelming at first, but a nice change of pace. And so I remember, you know, being in lab and just kind of throwing out any research idea that I felt would be something I'd be passionate or excited about and just hoping that one would stick. And for sure, it took quite a while, you know, learning how to conceptualize those projects is really, it's a, it's a long-term learning process. And my first real project that I got um, happened in that lab. And that was really more my passion than where my DEI journey started as far as my research focus. And um, really, honestly, it started out with something of kind of a venting session um, because moving to Florida, it was kind of just a culture shock, realizing how much the state and people in general were so much more disconnected from topics of DEI and so much less familiar with those initiatives and the importance of those projects. And I was sharing that experience and my advisor really just kind of said, okay, well, if you, you want to change it, you know, go ahead and write up an outline. And I remember just feeling this shock, like, what? Uh, okay, yeah. So I came back and, you know, put together my best, my best shot and my advisor went with it. And that was the beginning of really one of the biggest projects I've worked on, which was developing a workshop series that teaches students at the university inclusive behaviors. And that has been amazing and really led to a string of research projects um, in the realm of DEI and to my thesis ultimately, which focuses on um, queer issues and behavior analysis. And so pinpointing those behaviors about, you know, what can we do to improve topics and issues that are really important to me personally and how can I translate that into my work you know as a, uh, a budding future behavior analyst and in conducting research in general so um yeah I think there are just so many avenues that behavior analysis in particular can be applied outside of those maybe more traditional applications that we tend to see and it was really exciting to be able to get the opportunity to translate that into experimental evaluations. Yeah, and I feel like my research experience has kind of gone outside of those uh, kind of traditional applications in a different way. Um, I also was a GSA coming into my grad program and I, first meeting with my advisor, I said, I have this interest in DEI. And he said, cool, I have this research project that another student had kind of started and then kind of just left it unfinished uh, relating to organizations and their DEI policies within those organizations. Um, and so, you know, while everyone else in this group has done uh, experimental evaluations, my project started with just gathering data on a lot of organizations. Um, and, you know, Abby talked about projects being on time crunch, especially with like theses and things like that. This project has been very slow moving. Um, and a lot of that is just with organizations. They move a lot slower than an individual person. Um, but we this project has changed so many different times and um, we have gone different avenues and added on to it. And then, you know, we have all these different things that we want to do in the future. Um, but one thing that was really um, 
that I, I guess I was surprised, um, and maybe this can kind of transition into our next topic on um, barriers to research. Um, I didn't have any research experience in my undergrad, and you know, I was given this data collection project and pretty comfortable with collecting data. Um, but then I was also given this writing assignment and to start writing a paper for publication and not for grading. Um, and I was very, very quickly humbled. Uh, and it's a lot harder to write for a publication than it is when it's just your professor who's going to see it. Um, and that was that was a difficulty for me. Um, so one thing related to not just writing, but even just talking about my project um, has been really recognizing the impact of my learning history. Talking about DEI and talking about people's struggles um, that are not ones that I have experienced. Um, has been punished so many times in my learning history. And I'm saying anything that uh, contradicts the worldview or the experience of those who surrounded me when I was younger was just so, so heavily punished that it's really hard for me to talk about these subjects, to write about these subjects. Um, I feel it's even in writing, you know, if I'm, if I'm writing a paper and I'm trying to make the point that we need to care about the queer community, I feel like I need a source because I feel like my voice isn't enough and like that's not a well-known enough fact. And um, and the unfortunate reality is that there are people who don't see that as fact, but they should. It is a fact. Um, we should care about these communities and and our voices are enough to to try to make a difference. Um, and so that that's been probably my biggest challenge uh, in doing research and writing and speaking and things like that. Um, but what have you guys experienced? Maddie, I can actually really connect a lot with what you were saying, especially with your learning history and just how that so, quickly shapes up silence. And it's, it is so hard to break that. You know, I've just, I, I remember vividly some of the conversations I've had, you know, even in my previous positions where it's just, I'm sitting there with this thought of how could you possibly not care? How does this not matter? And it just absolutely would blow my mind but then you can't say anything and there's no arguing against it. And I think I, I 100% agree. And it almost instills in you this thought of second guessing everything you write, every decision you make in your studies is second guessed by yourself because you always have that voice in the back of your head. And for me, it just kind of, especially starting in the research and even doing Abby's replication and I, I had Abby in my corner that was the whole time has been like our cheerleader in DEI research. And it's like, no one often has that, but I constantly felt myself being defeated. And, you know, if you're getting into research, I feel like that's something you're going to find frequently, but it's, I think almost completely different in DEI because you just, you start to see the absolute worst in the world. And you just see all these people who don't care and, you just look around and you just have this feeling of what am I doing enough? Is this even enough? Why am I even doing this? And it's, it's hard to keep going in those moments. And you know what you were talking about, Maddie, I just feel like that adds to it so much. Um, and that's just, it's a, it's a huge, huge barrier. Yeah. I think I, I really just resonate Maddie and Kelsey with what you said there. And Maddie, when you made the point as well about when you say like, okay, we should care about the queer community. I feel like I have to cite that. I just, I really can envision writing, you know, papers and sitting there thinking, okay, you know, and of course there are sources we can use, you know, there are, is solid literature and statistics that can demonstrate 
why this population, um, you know, is more vulnerable to barriers posed by systemic oppression and why it is a socially significant initiative for us to take on. But, you know, Kelsey, like you said as well, with just kind of looking around and seeing, wow, you know, there's people who really are either very averse to this topic or are really just seeming, at least from my perspective, to lack that kind of perspective taking and empathy. And I know that in my experience kind of teaching inclusive behaviors and working with students when I would get sort of that, um, you know, pushback of on training these things and talking about these topics, it would be very disheartening. And ultimately, I think that I've had a very positive experience overall. I've you know, certainly worked with a lot of people who are very receptive, or if they were maybe a little shut down at first, became more open and receptive as, you know, we continue to work together. But for sure, that can be very disheartening. And I think especially when we are working on topics that maybe are personally very important to us, or we're personally very passionate about. Um, and we look to the literature and there's not much there, you know? Um, I think there is kind of this feeling of self-doubt. And I think by far the biggest barrier I've felt in research overall is that self-doubt, you know? Especially if you're starting up for the first time or doing something that doesn't have a solid string of, you know, experiments already founded and you can just pull it up in the literature very easy if you have to be a little resourceful or pull your data from outside of the field and translate it to, you know, behavior analytic uh, language and all of these things, it can be very, it's just a, it's a huge mountain to climb. And so I think there is that self-doubt that will creep in, you know, like, did I review the literature correctly? Is this going to work? And, you know, am I doing it the right way? But really, you know, I think that reminding yourself that across the board, people really do feel or experience some variation of this in all research. And certainly when we're doing DEI work, um, I think that individuals from, you know, historically marginalized communities in general can feel this feeling of, you know, wow, this is such a systemic issue. How can my individual action make a difference? And I think remembering that it is the cumulative effects of our collective action that can disrupt these systems and that the small changes we make do really matter and that we're not in it alone and we do have community we can lean on both inside and outside of research in our field and you know others within the communities and the identities we share that can be the empowerment that we might need to get through it. I'm going to echo all this yes. Um, but I guess to go into more detail as I probably should, um, that, um, as far as my own experiences, I really don't, I mean, I've certainly met people who were, you know, a little pushbacky, um, on it. Um, but I would say my biggest like barrier, struggle, stressor, prior <laughs> in some, in some moments, um, were certainly the aspects of, um, I guess, intimidation especially when you're going into like experimental research because you, you know with a call to action you're like hey this is important here's why and then I don't know, experimental like there's like I have to design something and then I have to design an intervention and then you know for at least the TGNC one you know it's thesis it's on time crunch again you need it to graduate you know there's like a is this going to work there's not research really on this I don't I don't know if this is going to work I don't know what's going to happen next and I don't know if I'm the person to to do that is, is another thing because I like you know I think we all and I think in DEI you will always experience unfortunately the barriers of people being like I don't think this is important or you know fuck you and your identities um to which I have learned in maybe this isn't the best way but in my moments of self-doubt I always lean back on some counter control and where I'm like maybe I shouldn't be doing this I think Mike Pence would want me to quit and I don't like Mike Pence. <laughs> so, so I got to keep going um, to spite him. But also I think about, you know, but you know, it's also like, Hey, you know, when you have like a personal connection, you know, to the topic, it's okay. Well, I want to increase, you know, proper pronoun use because, you know, obviously for the larger community, but also like, you know, I have a, <laughs> a self-vested connection to the topic. So, but I guess kind of the, 
the other side of that is that when you do get burnt out with your thesis, which you will, you will, um, that then you kind of feel more guilty because you're like, this is, I know this is an important topic and this is something that's important to me. Why do I feel this way is I think uh, maybe an unspoken barrier. I don't think anybody really talks about thesis burnout overall, um, but especially in this and especially when, again, you don't have, you don't have the background research. You don't have, you know, things to, to go out, experimental things. You're not like, like it's, you know, oh my God, am I going to graduate? It's like a big, scary thing. I've, I've, I've used the, like the metaphor of like, you know, in other areas of behavior analysis or other, whatever field you're in, you know, other things that have like a well-paved path, like a well-paved path, you know, maybe it's not paved, but it's like, you know, it's, you can see a clear line. Um, but I feel like, especially in behavior analysis in DEI and ex especially experimental research where you're changing a behavior, just a, just a jungle and woods and no path. And you got, here's a lamp and here's a machete. Good, 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 good luck. Um, don't get eaten by swamp creatures. Um, which is, you know, <laughs> a silly metaphor, but it's, it talks to the, I don't know, the, in, how intimidating it can be, especially when, yeah, you, you, like, you went, if, I don't know, at least for me going in, like, hey, I'm not the expert on the, on the behavior analysis part, because I'm a student, but I have to kind of almost act as the expert within the community, and then you also kind of have to doubt yourself, and that, so it's, yeah, big scary thing but I think I'm going to echo what um what Ari said which is uh, community being a very important part in this um you know luckily at the time of like doing my thesis uh, working in the while I was working on the call to action paper I had that community of people who like you know s similar interests similar to a similar background um and so having that as a support system and at this point in behavior analysis um, you know, in, in the woods, in the swamp jungle of, you know, there's, there's no research. You're kind of having to pave the thing yourself, um, or at least kind of create a little bit of a path. You, there's no expert right now. I don't think there is. Um, so you can really only rely on community to, to, to get through that, to, to support that, to, to pick up another machete and start, cut, start cutting the, the swamp woods. This is a weird metaphor. Um, but I, I, I'm, I guess just echoing that of the importance of community for support, for help with research things. If you want to take on like a, a big topic, take a team out in, 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 in there and, and like work through that. And, you know, again, as like also emotional, emotional and support with that because research is tiring, whatever you do. Um, but research on a brand new topic when, when you're like, I'm just a grad student is also big, scary and, and terrifying and intimidating. But I, I don't want to stir people away, but I, 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 at least for me, I think it has worked out as far as finding community and helping build that. I mean, I, we're recording this not long after ABAI and uh, meeting people who were like, I want to do more of this research or I was really wanting to do it. And my advisor was hesitant, but now that we're seeing more papers and we are seeing an increasing in discussions on that, you know, since I was even running um, the thesis or before the call to action came out um, is certainly like uplifting. And I think does also help with the little bit of self-doubt because now I'm like, okay, well, I, <laughs> I get, I don't want to like be self-doubt. And then I got the other like people like community that I have found um, that are also interested in that because if I look self-doubt, then I don't want that to impact them. And God damn it, we need to research this area. Um, so there is a little bit of, of that too. So spite and then now, and then just like trying to uplift everybody so that we can take on those, those larger systems because they're, they're, you know, it, it's gonna, it takes a village of people, but there's, you gotta, you gotta build a village of people. Um, and I think we're, we're definitely seeing more of that. I love that so much, Abby. And I love how you talk so much about how isolating this can be. And I feel like us here, we got very, very lucky, you know, because Ari, Maddie, and myself, we were all in the same grad program together and we all had interests in this area. So it was so empowering, I think, to have this community already here and already embedded 
And then we just had like Abby at the front heading this thing and we're just hustling along. Just like, okay, if Abby can do it, we can do it. And I I think it just, it made a world of difference um, actually having people with you to struggle through it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Kelsey and Abby, I really do, you know, again, resonate with what you said. And I think that really one thing that's sort of unique about DEI research in general and why community, like we've been saying, is so important is that, you know, the data tells us one thing. The data tells us that this is important. The data tells us that there are socially significant behaviors we need to target. The data and, you know, the lack of literature and the current environment in which we're seeing an onslaught of you know, legislative attempts to really oppress and silence communities um, and the barriers that are being posed, it's, the data tells us that this is important, yet we can encounter, given these systems and the learning history that, you know, that creates and the environmental arrangements that are maintaining behaviors of discrimination and those environmental arrangements, what that can lead to is almost as if this topic is sort of taboo. It's, it's um, you know, confrontational, it's politicized. And I think that is a unique barrier when conducting this work. And what we can also do as scientists is remember that we are meant to be led by data. We are meant to be led by the social significance of, you know, what we are trying to achieve and the behaviors that we're trying to change. And there is a certain amount of resilience that is required to continue to pursue a topic that might get so much pushback. And, you know, in some settings may be openly welcomed and taken as just something that is necessary, which it should be. But in other settings may be some kind of almost like this rebellious act. And you, I think that in my experience, I've even felt almost that when I would bring these up, that I would almost be painted as confrontational when beginning to start these topics. And I think that's unfortunate given the fact that everything is relying on data, everything is relying on evidence. And I think that that, again, is where community and remembering that there are more people doing this, there's more people just than you pushing forward, even when it feels lonely, um, can really help get you through it. Yeah, it it reminds me of this this beautiful imagery. Um, I cannot take credit for it. I saw it on social media a couple of months ago, but I I remember it. I keep coming back to it because I love it. Um, it it's this idea that sometimes in society we see, if you, if you conceptualize or think about society as this tangled up ball of yarn, and there are, you know we see a knot over here and a knot over here. And, and it's so overwhelming to try to untangle all of it. Um, but remembering that if you're working on one knot, somebody else is working on another and, and it's all the same tangled up ball of yarn. And so working on one knot is, is helping the overall state of the tangles everywhere. Um, and so just knowing that, you know, no one person can tackle it all, um, but finding that community to um, help remind us of where we are all working and that we're all working towards a common goal, but taking different avenues and working um, at it from different angles, um, I think is is just really important. I, I do like that, that metaphor that you found on social media somewhere, um, because I do think in my experience of, of both myself and then kind of talking to other people is that people hear DEI and it's such a big word and it's so scary. And you're like, I have to consider all these variables because we have to consider these like X, Y, Z, you know, QR at like all like, you know, to the third power, like all of these things. And I, I, I'm at least to my perspective, I'm like speaking specifically in behavior analysis that, um, you know, somebody once said, you know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I'm like, well, we can't put a roof on a house that isn't built. We're at, for as far as DEI and experimental stuff, 
um, which I, I also want to credit that discussion based things are also very important as far as finding targets and like bringing some some awareness because I think sometimes people are like I'd rather read a discussion article than than go look at some data stuff which fair um but like taking a piece of it like it's a like I mean even as I was doing like my thesis I'm like I'm not considering this or this or this I'm like I can't you, you are never going to design the perfect DEI study because you're never going to design the perfect study because the perfect study doesn't exist. So if you're sitting there being like, well, I, I want to target this specific behavior with this population, but I know I need to consider X, Y, Z and all of these things, you're never going to do anything. And then we're going to still just have, you know, a pretty, pretty bare shelf of, of experimental research in, in DEI and behavior analysis. Um, so especially at this point, like, like my study's simple. So is mine. <laughs> and that's okay. Like we, you, like, as far as a more, essentially if the goal, and I would assume the goal is a systematic analysis so that we can, you know, effectively pinpoint what problems is so that, you know, the hope being that you can then, you know, hey, there's the situation, let's use behavior analysis to help address that situation. Um, you know, we need a systematic review of that and that it starts basic. We're like, you know, for DEI and behavior analysis, there, there is so little, so it's okay to start basic because it has to start somewhere. Like all of the, all the big, you know, other concepts and things that we talk about are very well researched. It's a well-paven path that we're in the jungle in the woods. Like we can't put the house in the woods before we start clearing out stuff and keeping up with the metaphor. Um, and I guess I also want to bring up to on kind of a flip side of things of what I was kind of a little, you know, intimidated by not just that DEI is a big word, but kind of the other side of things. So people that are like very particular in the words you say when referring to and like very like, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. You Like, and being, I guess, very criticized, like criticized for that and very like particular is also like, I don't know, at least for me was a potential intimidation. Like people being like, I don't like this word. And then at least for me on the stuff that I've worked with, um, having to sit and think, well, I'm also part of that community and I don't, I'm okay with that term or I'm okay with saying things this way. I don't think it's that big of a deal. And that, so I think that's also like a struggle to of like <laughs> two extremes, but then still having to, like, you still got to push forward with this. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, you're never going to design the perfect study and people are always going to have something, you know, to say, like, you should do this. Like, yeah, I know. Um, but papers have limitation sections in them for a reason. Um, and, you know, there's, there's something out there. It's the, the idea is build a foundation to build off of. Um, and within DEI, language changes and people have individual, like, pers you know, like, opinions or, or what or not whatnot on how to go about something. And, you know, I it's, I would say in particular with if you are within that community that, you know, if somebody says, well, I think you should go about it this way. And you're like, I don't necessarily know if I agree. I definitely, it's like hard to, but I think important to like stand up for that. Because I mean, listen, if people are going to argue, like what's the best type of egg, people are going to argue about what type of term you should use in the DEI paper to refer to a community. Um, so I guess that is also like a potential concern. But at, at the end of the day, that's what I tell myself, I'm like, I was never going to design something perfect and that's never the expectation. Like do the best shit you can start somewhere and then hope that when I'm old and bitter, bitterer, even more bitter than I am now, I'm like, I remember when there was nothing like, but there's like, there's like 10, 10 stacks worth of new research. That's the goal. Set the foundations now. So it's okay. If you're like, I know this is a potential limitation of my study, even designing it. That's okay. Abby, I really like what you say about, you know, you're not going to be able to design the perfect study that everyone is going to be, you know, perfectly happy with. I think, you know, peer review and all of that is a process for really anything, you know, a scientist is going to publish. And particularly in these topics, there's so nuanced and there's so much context and everyone's individual experience is so different. But um, I think, you know, in general, let's say just to step outside of this conversation for a moment, um, let's circle back because it's related. When 
we are working with people who maybe have a very extensive learning history in which DEI is aversive or, you know, talking or have some sort of unwillingness to really embrace inclusivity or the importance of diversity. When someone takes a first step, regardless of maybe our personal feelings and reactions, um, we want to reinforce that approximation, you know, because we're behavior analysts, we shape behavior. And so rather than, you know, punishing someone's first steps for not being perfect to say, well, that was a, that was good. Thank you for trying. And here's, you know, the next step, here's some, you know, prompting here's, this is how you can learn and grow from here. And so I think that now coming back to the research piece, you know, no study is going to be perfect. You're, you know, what you said is so true. There's a limitation section for a reason, but, you know, every, every line of research has to start somewhere. And I think that, you know, taking those first steps, a simple study, um, you know, a, a call to action, a conceptual framework, anything that can move us forward in the direction that we're trying to get to as a field is going to help pave that road and is important. I love that, Ari. And it reminds me of um, a paper and it's Nuringer 1991. And it talks about being humble in our science and um, in behavior analysis in general. And that's one of the things that the author discusses specifically is being tentative in your assertions and being open to accepting criticism and recognizing that that is going to happen as a part of research. And it's supposed to do that. It's supposed to be that way. And I think that's a common theme between Abby and Ari's discussion is that it's okay if it's not perfect. Because I think you walk into, especially this line of research, hoping to solve the world's problems with one study and you can't. And it's, and it's sad, but it's true. And it's okay to start small. It's okay to not have something perfect because at least we're doing something and that's a whole heck of a lot different than what's happened in the past. Yeah. And I mean, I guess to like the, you know, you're not going to solve the world's problems with just your one study, um, but you, potential domino effect of your study. And now somebody reads it and goes, Oh my God, I want to do this now. Or now people are now more open to it. And then domino effect. And I, I, I mean, it is my opinion that we're going to start seeing a, a lot more discussions because ultimately for behavior analysis, um, very under discussed topic. It has to be if behavior analysis wants to, in my in my opinion, um, like continue to like have, you know, be involved in in spaces because, you know, it's you are ethically bound <laughs> to consider these things, um, but that shouldn't end with just like clinical clients. Like this is, you know, behavior analysis as, as just a tool. Um, I mean, what's its emphasis? Change behaviors. And especially in, in DEI things to both then identify, okay, this is this is a problem, and to then add in like a well, let's throw in an intervention to actually change that is important because at least for for me when I was applying to other things, um, you know, I see a lot of like correlational stuff, like, oh, this is often correlated with better outcomes for this particular um community or population. Um, whereas behavior analysis can certainly take that information and definitely we need to collaborate with other fields, which do this better, far better um, than behavior analysis does um, to change behaviors. Cause I think that's where the utility is, um, is, you know, people are experiencing this. How do we, how do we change this? And um, I forgot to mention it earlier, Ari, you were talking about like political stuff and people like being like, mm, this is political. I don't, I don't like this. What is a policy, but just like a, just a, just a rule. Like everything you do is inherent. The personal is political everything is political because it's a rule of how to govern your own behavior in society. So if you're, if you hear, you know, if, or if some, or you, some of you know, is like, <laughs> why, well, you know, why is behavior analysis getting into stuff? It's, it's too political. Everything, everything is political. Everything you do is there's a policy for something. The reason that you, <laughs> that you are sitting there, that when you go out in public, you, you know, don't take things from the store or don't walk around naked or anything is because you would, get, there's a policy, there are rules in place to govern your behavior. And it, it for me, just, so that's a weak ass excuse. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> I don't have a better way to say it. I love that, especially in terms of 
you know, my research has been in organizational policies and um, I, I have had backlash of like, oh, you know, these policies are unnecessary or, you know, why are you even spending time on that? Um, and, you know, again, like we can come at this from multiple angles, right? We can, we can change individual behavior with these studies that you guys are doing, but policies are rules and rules can hopefully, if they are uh, created well and are not conflicting too much with individual learning history and all of these things, can change group behavior. So, you know, we can come at this from both directions and we can work individually, small scale to change individual behavior and things like that. And then we can also, you know, go to policies and politics and try to change group behavior and hopefully with trying to do, you know, trying to tackle both ends of that, we can make a big impact. I, just our own recommendations because again, like life's, life's short, do what you're passionate about. Like, why would you want to spend, you know, 30, 40, 50 years doing something you're not passionate about? So, you know, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, this is something you're passionate about. And so based off, I think our own experiences, you know, giving recommendations to how to best navigate that to help, you know, maybe you not experience, you know, some of the things that maybe we experience or help address them is probably important. Um, but I'm a shift it to one of, to one of, to, you know, Ari, Maddie, Kelsey, one of y'all to take it away. I can start. I think Abby, I really resonate with finding your passion, especially if you are pursuing research, because it's, it's not a joke when they say research has a very lean reinforcement schedule. It is, it is a struggle. Even like Maddie was talking about earlier, just writing the paper is a lot. So do what you love and don't let other people tell you that you shouldn't have an impact with the communities you deeply care about. You, you can do these things and you will hear no, we all do. And that's okay. But to really be able to work through all those moments, you have to truly, truly, truly love what you do, or this is going to be so exhausting. And I know that sounds very intimidating, but it will just bring you so much joy when you finish something that was a struggle, but it's something that's important to you. There is nothing like it in the world. There really is nothing. Um, and I think the other big thing I would recommend is kind of what Abby was discussing earlier. This can feel really intimidating and you might not know where to start, so look at what other people are doing. You know, this is not something we can tackle with one solution. There are so many. Look at the literature, talk to people, find a community that is willing to support you and someone you can bounce ideas off of without judgment. You know, I know that's something that we've done a lot in this group is we've just talked to each other and said, hey, this is something I'm thinking about. What do you think? And someone who can give you feedback and really help guide you just having those people makes a really big difference. So what do you think, Maddie and Ari? Yeah, I mean, I think a big theme throughout this entire podcast has been um, community. And I think that that's something that's really important. I, again, I mean, just mirroring exactly what you were just saying, like this, this is hard work and they're, it's very rewarding work, but in between those days that are exciting and where we're just feeling the love and feeling the joy. Um, there are days when the data is not going well or turn on the news and just get real depressed. And, and, and it's, it's really, it's really difficult, but, you know, finding your community or, you know, becoming your own community, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have that, creating your own verbal rules of great. I, um, I, I, I did that and, and I'm working, um, and we're working towards what we hope will be this better future. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just 
knowing and remembering and reminding yourself and finding people who will help you remember that the hard days are worth it um, for the end goal that we're working towards. Yeah, I think uh, just to, you know, kind of reiterate what everyone has been saying and add a little bit, um, really just as far as recommendations go for researching in general and, and in this topic, um, to really just find what you're passionate about and then pursue it with that passion, you know, um, don't be discouraged if there's not much in behavior analysis on there. Just because someone else hasn't done it before doesn't mean that you can't. Um, as long as, you know, your conceptualization is solid science and you're rooting it in behavior analytic principles. Um, what is so important is, especially in DEI, we just, we need, we need more data, more experimental evaluations, more just publications in general, even if it's not you know, say experimental in nature, just more and more and more. And so if there is something that you resonate with to pursue that and to find the people, the advisors, the community that will support you, and if it's just you to do your best to stick with it, you know, um, put yourself out there, share your ideas. And even if you feel awkward or you doubt yourself or if you're unsure, it's probably a good sign that you're doing the right thing and going in the right direction. Um, so sometimes just the simple act of having a conversation, starting that brainstorming, that collaboration, just trying in general can be the start of something really great or really big. And again, even a small step forward is a step forward. Um, and in that vein, honestly, to not be afraid to ask for help or to reach out to others. Um, I think sometimes we can feel this pressure or this responsibility to kind of carry the weight of the world on our shoulders all alone and never complain about it. But that's never actually really the answer. And there's always support somewhere, whether that's gonna be your advisor, a coworker, a colleague, or even if it's just a family member or a friend to lean on and say, hey, I'm overwhelmed. And they can give you some emotional space or a different perspective to remember that you know we benefit from collaboration, from discussions, and that being in it alone is rarely true or you know, the best answer. And we're all so much more effective when we are able to be humble enough to recognize that we aren't perfect. And even more than that, no one is expecting us to be, uh, at least they really shouldn't be. And to kind of borrow a little bit from the idea of cultural humility here with the idea that you're never going to be culturally competent in all cultures to know everything. Um, you have to embody an aspect of humility to continue to learn. And I think it's important in research as well to embody some humility in that I'm not going to design the perfect study. I'm not going to fix everything with just me. And that there are supports and people to lean on, even if it's community, even if it's outside of research to really gain that empowerment from a new perspective, a fresh idea, um, support and, um, I think that's just, you know, the thread throughout the entire podcast episode here has been the importance of, you know, group action as opposed to putting it all on yourself or just the actions of a single individual. I love that, Ari. And kind of honestly, what you're talking about with cultural humility really reminds me that in science, in research, there is an abundant amount of criticism and there always will be, that's the nature of it. But I would really like to encourage our listeners who want to do this work, or even if you just want to pursue a PhD and be in research, have self-compassion and that will always save you. And just like you were saying, Ari, you don't need to be perfect and that's not the expectation. So be kind to yourself and always balance being an evaluator of the literature and of other people with also being kind. And I think this comes from having done research and recognizing just how grueling it is. It's very easy to be critical. It is not so easy to be kind. So be kind to yourself and be kind to other researchers in this area because it means a lot to them too. 
and we're all trying, and this is a collective effort. And if we spend our time shooting each other down, we're never going to see what we want to at the end of the day. I also think you never know, like initially, like with my interest as little baby undergrad, um, I really wanted to like, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to pursue my more women's studies um, degree. Uh, I wanted to be like, cool, like gender theorist, whatever. But I'm like, frankly, I'm not going to probably make any money in that area, just being honest. Um, And so I kind of, you know, geared more towards the psychology things and kind of tripped and fell into some things that I didn't weren't necessarily in my like DEI interest but ended up working out so like for example I um, ended up working in a clinical research lab um, uh, in um, early intervention with behavior analysis and I mean I knew going in like that wasn't something I wanted to to do long term I wanted the interest was always (laughs) DEI stuff um, the avenue I was just unsure about. Um, but through that, you know, where I'm like, this is just a side thing to get some experience and then a job afterward or something for a little bit until I figure out what what's next. Um, I met Danny Conine. And, you know, the result of that was, you know, the, you know, being able to, to you know, the start of finding community and then being able to work on writing things like the call to action and like the other things that we're planning with, you know, and then we then, you know, found uh, Sarah Campo, helping that and slowly building uh, that community side of things. Um, but I definitely agree with like the the self-compassion thing because I, Ari, I think you had mentioned earlier, like I had thrown ideas at the wall and just was hoping one would stick. That's kind of what you got to do because what I had gone in and was suggesting as ideas wasn't what we ended up doing, you know, and with a lot of DEI stuff, you, especially if you're doing like an experimental based one, it's hard to capture that kind of things in the natural environment. So when you do an experiment, you have to try and contrive it. So there's a lot, a lot of creativity, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of tossing ideas at a wall. Um, but per the instructional design literature for doing creative things, throwing ideas around is kind of how you work stuff out. So, you know, if you have an idea and you're like, I think we maybe do this. And then you immediately are like, well, this is limited by X, Y, Z true but don't throw that idea out set it aside dump out like throw your ideas out there too like i'm gonna make another metaphor dump out all these lego pieces like and i think once you kind of spread them out and go okay well that has a problem there but this other idea i had might actually work you can formulate something so i like don't like you know it's, it's going to take a lot of brainstorming for some of these these studies and that's okay um and some of your first round ideas are not going to be workable as they are. And that's okay because I don't, I don't think in any study, any kind of experimental, the first idea always runs how it goes anyway. But especially with this, when you're having to like get real creative and capturing of, of data, um, it's just like toss around ideas with people, write them down and then like just put them on a sticky note, put them together, you know, add, put some, put some red wire to connect, connect them, whatever you got to do. Um, it just, it's, 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 it's going to take some time and, you know, you're going to go through a couple different ideas and that's okay. That's just, that's just research. Um, so if, if, if you're like, I, all my ideas like have these limitations, A, are you shutting them down immediately? don't like let them like don't just toss them in, in the garbage set them aside and then be it's it's okay because I went through many ideas <laughs> that did not come out to fruition <laughs> and that's okay um but even looking back on things and go and you know a couple of years later being like I kind of want to revisit that oh I could do that now like getting more information on things and now being able oh I could structure it this way you know you have a little light bulb moment um or you see somebody else do do a study that maybe is not DEI related, but you're like, this could actually work with DEI in this way. Um, you know, you, you never know what, what little ideas are going to spark. So don't don't just, you know, throw away all of the ideas just because like, you're like, I immediately noticed these problems with it. Your research, as we've established, is going to have some limitations. That's just research. Um, and who knows, that little nugget of an idea, part of it might be, you know, the, the key to like getting you to to your end result of something that you're really passionate about. Yeah, and I I just wanted to again highlight the like the community aspect of that, and 
you know, don't just throw away your idea because you can't see the way to make it work. Um, I can't think of any specific examples, but Abby, I know that I have like come to you before and been like, how would like measure this or how would you do something like this? And I swear you're a genius, but there are other geniuses on the planet, I'm sure, because you always come up with like, oh, well, you could manipulate it this way or you could do it this way. So never throw away an idea because you can't flesh it out because you can go to somebody else and be like, I'm thinking about this. Like, how could we, how could we improve this? How could we look at this? You know, and, and even if that person that you're asking can't figure it out or doesn't have an idea, maybe you're not asking the right person. Like that still doesn't mean that you should throw away that idea. Um, because especially if it's something that you're passionate about, don't throw it away you know, hold on to it, keep thinking about it, keep asking people about it until you've found a way to um, address that or look at it or, you know, do whatever you want with it. So on that note, we've gone through a lot of our recommendations. What are some encouraging things that we think we could leave off on? I think that we have, we've kind of covered a lot of what um, I would say, you know, remember that you're, the things that you're telling yourself in your most difficult moments and your self-doubting moments, those are not truths about yourself. And, um, you know, if you're struggling to remember that, find your community who can remind you um, of the solid researcher or clinician or, you know, insert your title, you know, you're good at that. You're, you know, um, and then just don't, don't give up. Um, and know that it, you alone are not going to completely solve the problem, um, especially when we're talking about DEI. It's never, the work is never done. Um, and that is scary, but it, it, we can also use that as motivation to, to keep going. Um, so I'm sure there's more that could be said, but that's that's what I'll say. Yeah, I think that really, as far as encouragement goes, just again, you know, let your passion guide you, you know, um, I think a lot of us as researchers, and especially in DEI can be big picture thinkers, big dreamers, and that's definitely a good thing. And when we take on these massive scale goals, um, like Maddie said, you know, the work is never done. And so if you look at it as I have to get to the end and I have to achieve it, then you'll kind of always be setting yourself up for a state of burnout as opposed to looking at what what small steps can I take? How can I, you know, arrange reinforcement to keep myself going? Because, you know, this is it's so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than my individual action, but I am, I'm doing good. And, you know, if you're passionate about something, don't let it go and don't throw out your research ideas. Like has been said, keep a little, keep a little black book, you know, write it down, keep track of them because maybe in a couple years down the road, that will turn into something that really helps someone, maybe even on a small scale change, maybe even outside of research. And so remembering to keep these ideas, keep the little sparks that you get and let them motivate you to keep pushing forward when it does feel a little bit disheartening and that embracing the fact that uncertainty, you know, barriers, roadblocks and feeling a little disempowered is inevitable. It's a part of the process, but sometimes, you know, actually had an advisor tell me sometimes all you can do is put one foot in front of the other. And um, I think that remembering that is just really important. I I, I kind of want to, you know, echo similar things. Um, research is very hard overall, DEI or otherwise, um, but especially for this, this is important work, uh, no matter what somebody says. Um, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase behavior analysis can can save the world. Um, and I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in DEI. You're probably not the people who are like, yeah, I don't care about these initiatives. I'm making an assumption here. Um, but I, I think my assumption is probably correct. Um, 
And so if, you know, people really believe that this is an important area to, to go into. And, and I think, you know, as, as daunting, as, as scary as it, as it can be, um, the work that you, that you're doing or want to do, or, or, you know, are trying to do, um, is important and is tackling something behavior analysis has to, has to, has to address, um, you might not have all the answers and that's okay because this is, as far as behavior analysis goes, this is of increasing discussion um, and no one has all the answers. And if somebody claims they have all the answers, you probably want to avoid them. Um, you know, this is this is a complex topic um, and I think a lot of people can be intimidated uh, to take it on, um, but, but your willingness to and your interest to um, really shows the utility of behavior analysis beyond just it's, you know, often, you know, thought applications into just one specific area. Um, because I think behavior analysis is rigid and I think it doesn't need to be. I think there's a lot of utility in that. And, you know, ultimately, you know, the ability to change behaviors as it relates to DEI topics um, is important and is something that needs to be done. I 100% agree, Abby. And I think when you're just coming into research in general and you're starting out, one of the things that I really had to come to terms with is you're going to hear no more times than you ever hear. Yes. And it is so hard to take those no's, but don't stop. Keep going, keep pushing for what you love, keep pushing for what you want to work on. It's going to happen eventually. And I know I felt very discouraged really early in my research career when I was doing studies that I thought were great and were fun, but they weren't what I wanted to do, what I really wanted to have an impact on. And it just felt like that line just kept moving further and further, but you will get there. And it is always a climb to get there, but it is so unbelievably worth it to look back and see all that you've done. And then to have that day where you get to start your study on your topic of interest in an area that is important to you. It is a life-changing moment and it is going to come. You just have to hang in there a little bit. And I think my final thing is it's okay to be afraid. Research is terrifying. That is the baseline. Everyone is afraid. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough. All of these big names you see, they are terrified. We all are, and that's okay. And I cannot emphasize this enough. If you are afraid of what you're doing, it matters to you. And that is not a bad thing. If you are scared of showing up and messing something up, of reading something wrong, great. Hold on to that because you care about it and be okay with talking about it. And that's just another area where be, be compassionate with yourself. It's okay. We're all right there with you. We just need to keep pushing along. Just like Abby said, we're all trying to take out this jungle together. And the more people we have, the easier it's going to be. Ready for an outro? Yeah, take us away, Maddie. Thank you guys for sharing all of your thoughts and experiences. Um, I feel like I have learned a lot uh, through this conversation, and I hope that our listeners have as well. Um, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us throughout this Pride Month. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed these episodes and um, come back next week. Even though Pride Month will be over, we will have more episodes as always um, that we are very, very excited about. So thank you for listening to this episode of Offerant Innovations and we'll see you next week.